0: welcome back friends to hope is a prayer away i am your host pastor jj and before we descend on our bible study i would like to remind you that all of my bible studies are free for you to download and copy and all of my bible studies come with no strings attached you don't have to register there's no email requirements no subscription fees whatsoever uh there's no thumbs up and uh you will never pay a penny for any of my bible studies my only goal is to connect you with christ jesus that's why i'm doing this podcast and that's why i have the the, the the website on my website we do have a voluntary contact form and that's only if you would like to receive my latest bible study before it gets posted onto our website but again it's 100 percent voluntary If you would like to see the Bible studies that we have uploaded so far uh, to our website, you may do so at www.hopeisaprayeraway.com. Now, let's get into the Word of God. And in today's Bible study, we're going to be going, we're going to go back in time. And we're going to start looking at and studying about the origins of the cancel culture. That's like a big issue nowadays and people think that it's something new and I tend to just respectfully disagree. So in today's Bible study, we are going to study about the origins of the cancel culture and its first victim. So we want to go back in time and, and start off by looking at the cancel culture of yesterday and today. So what does it mean to cancel someone? Well, according to Merriam-Webster's dictionary, it means to cancel someone is to stop supporting them or their work. This means no longer reading what they write, listening or what to or watching what they create, or enjoying what they produce. So the original cancel culture that I that 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 I uh, that I am going to submit to you. Uh, And it comes from the Bible. The Bible records two groups that foster the beliefs and the social mores of today's cancel culture. Number one, the first group is the Pharisees. Who were the Pharisees? So in Jesus' day, the Pharisees were the most respected and influential group in Judaism. Having originated about 135 B.C., they were a committed fellowship of men, Determined to follow in exact detail everything required in the Mosaic Law. Pharisees. What does it mean? A Pharisee is a religious party or school among the Jews at the time of Christ, so called from perishin. And that's the Aramaic form of the Hebrew word perushim. It means separated. So they... They, they consider themselves separated. And the chief sects among the Jews and the Pharisees, the Sadducees and the Essenes, who may, who may be described respectively as the formalists, the free thinkers, and the Puritans. A knowledge of the opinion and practices of the Pharisees at the time of Christ is of great importance for entering deeply into the genius. Of the Christian religion, a cursory perusal of the gospel is sufficient to show that Christ's teachings was in some way, in some respects, thoroughly antagonistic to theirs. That sounds familiar. So he denounced them in the bitterest language, and we can see, for example, uh, Matthew, uh, chapter 15, verses 7 and 8, uh, verses. Uh, chapter 23, verse 5, verse 13, verse 14, verse 15, verse 23. Also Mark 7, verse 6. Luke chapter 11, verses 42 through th- 44. And you can also compare Mark 7, 1 through 5, and 11, verse 29, uh, 12, Chapter 12, verse 19 and 20, and Luke 6, 28, and then 37 through 42. Now, to understand the Pharisees is by contrast an aid toward understanding the script of uncorrupted Christianity. Number one, the fundamental principles of all of the Pharisees, common to them with all Orthodox modern Jews, is that side is by the side of the written law regarded as regarded as a summary of the principles and general laws of the Hebrew people there was an oral law to complete and to explain the written law given to Moses on mount sinai and transmitted by him by word of mouth so the first per- first portion of the talmud called the mishnah or the second law in the Hebrew, contains this oral law. It is a digest of the Jewish traditions and a compendium of the whole ritual law, and it came at length to be esteemed far above the sacred texts. Number two, while it was the aim of Jesus to call men to the law of God itself as a supreme guide of life, the Pharisees, upon the pretense of maintaining it intact, multiplied minute precepts and distinctions to such an extent that the whole life of the Israelite was hemmed in and burdened on every side by instructions so numerous and trifling that the law was almost, if not wholly, lost sight of. These traditions, as they were called, had long been gradually accumulating. Of the trifling character of these regulations, innumerable instances are to to be found in the Mishnah. Such Such were their washings before they could eat bread, and the special minuteness with which the forms of this washing were prescribed. Their bathing when they returned home from the market, their washing of cups, pots, brazen vessels, etc., and they're fi- fasting twice a week, as we, you can find in Luke 18, verse 12. And there was their tithing, in, found in Matthew 23, 23. And such, finally, were those minute and vexatious extensions of the law, of the Sabbath, which must have converted God's gracious ordinance of the Sabbath's rest into a burden and a pain. And I have listed all of those verses uh, on the website, so so you can check them out when you have a chance, please. Yeah. Number three, it was a, it was a leading aim of the Redeemer to teach men that true piety consisted not in forms, but in substance, not in outward observances, but in an inward spirit. The whole system of Pharisaic piety led to exactly opposite conclusion. The loneliness of piety was, according to the teachings of Jesus, an inseparable concomitant of its reality. But the Pharisees sought mainly to attract the attention and to excite the admiration of men. And those scriptures are, are also found in uh, if you visit the website. Indeed, the whole spirit of their religion was summed up not in confession of sin and in humility, but in a proud self-righteousness at variance with any true conception of man's relation to either God or his fellow creatures. Now let's look at the second group. Let's look at the Sadducees. So in the first century Israel, Sadducees were a religious faction that wielded societal power in nearly every aspect of life, except in the military. And for that, they had the backing of their Roman benefactors. These were the Jewish aristocrats of their day, known as much for their wealth and corruption as for their religious devotion. Although we can't know for certain the origins of their name, a common belief is that, that it it was derived from the name of a prominent Old Testament high priest, Zadok, and that is found in Second Samuel fifteen, verses twenty three to twenty nine, and also you can read it in First Kings, uh, second chapter verse thirty five. What was the role of the Sadducees in the Bible? Well, in Jesus's time, Sadducees controlled the most important institutions of Jewish society. Number one, the Jewish temple, also known as Herod's temple, and the Sanhedrin. They controlled these. The Sanhedrin was the governing body for both religious and legal issues of the Jews. The leader of the Sanhedrin was a high priest given king-like authority and was almost always a Sadducee. For instance, Anas, and his son, son-in-law, Caiaphas, are two high priests named in the New Testament, as we find in Matthew 26, verse 3, and Acts 4, verse 6. Both of them were Sadducees, and both played critical roles in the execution of Jesus. Now, what were the Sadducees' beliefs? Here's what we know about the Sadducee theology, with special emphasis on the first five books of, of the Torah, or they believe that the Bible, our Old Testament, was only the authority on matters of faith and life. The first five books of the Bible can also be uh, known as the Pentateuch. Okay, The, the Penta meaning five, and in the Hebrew it means the first five books, Pentateuch. So you can call it the Torah, or you can call it the Pentateuch. Sadducees flatly rejected the Pharisee teaching that oral tradition was equal to scripture in authority. They believed in the unrestrained free will, meaning God had no role in their personal lives of humans, that everyone was a master of his or her own destiny. Sadducees also rejected entirely the supernatural refuting beliefs in angels, demons, heaven, hell and the resurrection their way of thinking souls die when the body dies end of story so in spite of the previously they believe strongly in ritual purity as as prescribed by moses they didn't want anything to disqualify them from leading the temple services that generated their income their money in fact Wealth seems to have been the number one belief of the Sadducees. Modern archaeologists have uncovered a few ancient Sadducee homes, describing them as the most opulent discovered to date in Jerusalem. Now, how does the Bible describe the Sadducees? The Sadducees and the chief priests, which they were, are mentioned in all four Gospels and in Acts, the book of Acts is the recording of the Acts of the Apostles. None of those mentions, those none of those mentions are flattering. Considering, consider this sampling. John the Baptist calls Sadducees a brood of vipers and Matthew three verse seven. Jesus calls the Sadducees a wicked and adulterous generation. Matthew sixteen verses one through five. Jesus sternly warns his disciples against the deceptive teachings of the Sadducees, Matthew 16, 1 through 12. And we know that we have a lot of pastors nowadays that unfortunately are deceiving and, and, and by deceptive teaching, uh, sadly, their members to, to, get, to, to get their money. And that's very sad. But we're going to be addressing all of that. So when the Sadducees test Jesus with a theological question, they're easily signs by Christ who lectures them like children, calling them badly mistaken. You can find uh, uh, the text in Matthew 22, verses 23 through 34, also in Mark 12, 18 to 27, and also in Luke 20, verses 27 through 40. So a detachment of soldiers and officials is sent by the chief priests to arrest Jesus and later instigate the cry to crucify, crucify. In John 18 verse 3 and 19 verse 6. Now in the book of Acts, the Sadducees frequently arrest and are miraculously embarrassed by Peter, John, Paul, and the other apostles. As we read in the book of Acts, Chapter, uh, chapter 4, verses 1 through 22. Also, Acts 5, verses 17 through 41. And Acts 23, verses 1 through 9. Now, reading the New Testament accounts, it seems obvious our gospel writers had little respect for, the, for any Sadducee. Why did the Sadducees hate Jesus so much? Well, there are two obvious reasons. Number one. Jesus threatened their erroneous belief system. If Christ's teaching was right, then most of what they lived and taught was wrong. Secondly, Jesus threatened their cozy relationship with Rome and the political and societal benefits that it provided. Still, the most likely reason for such strong Sadducee opposition to Christ appears to be this, that Jesus attacked them first. Picture the busy scene. The temple at Jerusalem is bustling with action. Devout Jews are streaming in to make sacrifices required by the law of Moses. So let's just say a worshiper arrives with an animal. And no, says the priest, that animal is unsuitable for sacrifice. You have to buy this one from me instead. Obviously for a fee. Oops, the worshiper presents the wrong currency and now must exchange his money for Jewish shekels. Obviously, there's also a fee involved in that. And finally, the unreasonably expensive transaction is made. Moments later, another Jew arrives, and no, says the priest again, he takes the previous unsuitable livestock that he took from the, from, from the new worshiper, and he buys it, and he gets him to buy it for a fee. And so the cycle repeats day after day, year after year. So it is pure robbery, pure and simple. But that crooked scheme, among others, is how the Sadducees of Jesus' day funded their lavish lavish lifestyles and kept a tight grip on political power. This temple sacrifice scheme, along with other crimes, had been established by the Sadducee high priest, Anas, and was enforced by the theologian, by one theologian, describes as an extensive organized crime network in the temple, not unlike a quasi-religious mafia. And friends, sadly, there's a lot of churches that if you go into, uh, into my website, I uh, I name sadly a lot of uh, prominent well-known pastors that, uh, that appear to be engaging in this type of conduct. But that's a discussion for another form that we're going to cover. Now, corruption in the temple was so brazen, it was commonly known as the Anas Bazaar, a system through which Sadducee leaders stole fortunes from their helpless countrymen. And that's only until Jesus came along. So Jesus comes and he cleanses the temple. Acting under only his own authority, Jesus single-handedly drove the corrupt Sadducees out of the temple, shutting down their crooked operation for at least a day. And if John is correct regarding the timeline recorded in his gospel, I believe he is. I do believe he is. uh, Jesus likely drove out the Annas Bazaar twice, once at the beginning of his ministry and once near the end see Matthew 21 verses 12 through 17 and Mark uh, chapter 11 verses 15 through 19 also Luke talks about it in ninth uh, chapter 19 verses 45 through 46 and John 2 verses 13 through tw- and also John 21 verses 13 through 22. So this violent act of Christ was premeditated. It was a direct attack on, on us and Caiphas and the whole Sadducee system. It cost them their wealth and put their entire quasi-religious mafia at great risk. So one, if one interim intern rabbi could do such damage, what would happen if many rose up? One can easily see... That would prompt a passionate desire to kill one of to kill God's one and only son. Interesting enough, the Sadducees disappeared from history within a lifetime after the execution of Jesus. Their power was in, intricably in, uh, tied to the temple in Jerusalem. It was destroyed by by the Roman general Titus in A.D. seventy, and the Sadducees simply could not survive. Now let's look at another group that a lot of people don't talk about, and those were the Essenes. An almost forgotten Jewish sect until the the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls in the 1940s and 50s, the Essenes were a small separatist group that grew out of the conflicts of the Maccabean Age. Like the Pharisees, they stressed strict legal observance, but they considered the temple priesthood corrupt and rejected much of the temple rituals and sacrificial systems. However, the Essenes were never mentioned in the Bible, and unlike the Pharisees and the Sadducees, mentioned by several ancient writers, such as Philo of Alexandria, Josephus, and Pliny the Elder, the precise nature of the Essenes is still not certain, though it is generally agreed that the Quran community that produced the Dead Sea Scrolls, was an Essene group. Pliny numbered the group at around 4,000 men. The name Essenes was not a name chosen by the group itself, but rather assigned by scholars and writers. The Quran community refers to themselves as the sons of Sadak, or the men of the community, and members of the covenant, sons of light etc. the root meaning of Essenes is debated to either to mean either the modest ones, the silent ones or perhaps pious. Now what happened to the Essenes? because they were convinced that they were the true remnant of these quram Essenes had separated themselves from Judaism at large and devoted themselves to personal purity and preparation for the final war between the sons of light and the sons of darkness they practice an and so they practice an apocalyptic faith looking back to the contributions of their teachers of righteousness and forward to the coming of the two and possibly three messiahs so they thought, they thought there was maybe two or three messiahs that were coming now the destruction of the temple in AD 70 however seems to have delivered the death blow to their apocalyptic expectations. The Essenes and Christianity. Attempts have been made to equate aspects of the beliefs of the Quran community with the origins, origins of Christianity. Some have seen a prototype of Jesus in their teacher of righteousness, and both John the Baptist and Jesus have been assigned membership in the sect. There is, however, only a superficial speculative base for these conjectures. Example, while the Essenes were not mentioned in Scripture, their aesthetic lifestyle can be compared to John the Baptist's time in the desert, as recorded in Matthew 3. Now let us compare the differences between the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The Pharisees were relatively a close society of like minded people devoted to religious purity. They were not political. They were not a political powerful group in Palestine like the Sadducees. The Pharisees were less devoted to temple worship and sacrifices, more concerned with observing the, their oral traditions and the law of Moses by adhering to their behavior prescriptions to cover every possibility. Now, the Sadducees were more a political elite, heavy, heavily involved in political affairs, including collaborating with the Romans. Pharisees were not of any kind of elite, although some Pharisees were wealthy. Sadducees were priests involved with the temple, its festivals, its sacrifices. And Pharisees were a separate group, homogeneous in belief and practice. Now these differences were trivial compared to the differences between the two sects regarding the resurrection of the dead and an afterlife. So Jesus passes immediate judgment on the Pharisees and the the Sadducees. Friends, whenever we read that our Lord uses the word woe in the Bible, anywhere where you see the word woe, he has passed judgment on that, pra- on that person or practice immediately. So he's already judged them. Moreover, and it is also an expression of grief or indignation. So Jesus was pretty upset at what was going on, and he saw it. Now, Matthew 23, verse 13 out of the NIV, we're going to cover the seven woes on the teachers of the law and the Pharisees. Now, verse 13. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You shut down the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let anyone who is trying enter. Matthew 23, verses 15. All of these verses are from the NIV. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You travel over land and sea to win a single convert, and when you have succeeded, you make them twice as much a child of hell as you are. Wow. Matthew 23 and verse 16. Woe to you, blind guides! You say, if anyone swears by the temple, it means nothing, but anyone who swears by the gold of the temple is bound by that oath. Matthew 23 and verse 23. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You give a tenth of your spices mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. Matthew 23 and verse 25. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Matthew 23 and verse 27. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You are like whitewashed tombs which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside they are full of bones and Of the dead and everything unclean. Matthew 23 and verse 29. Woe to you teachers of the law and Pharisees. You hypocrites. You build tombs for the prophets. And decorate the graves of the righteous. Matthew 26 verses 23 and 24. And he answered and he said. He that dippeth his hand with me in this dish. Shall betray me. The son of man goeth as it is written of him, but woe unto that man by whom the son of man is betrayed. It had been good for that man if he had not been born. Wow. Now let's see if we can reconcile the cancel cultures of yesterday with today. Now Matthew 7, 1 through 5. And the title of uh, of this section of the Bible, it's, it's titled, Judging Others. Okay? So, starting at verse uh, or chapter 7, verse 1. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the same measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye, And you pay no attention to the plank in your own eye. How can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Wow. Amen. And you know, that leads us to a uh, to, to, to to things that happen in church that um unfortunately I know that churches have driven people away and and they've been turned off by the gospel. Um but friends, don't be turned off by Jesus. Jesus wrote clearly what we're supposed to do. And I want you to know that if you've been told by a pastor a church, a church leader, that you're going here, that you're going there, that you you know, that you weren't welcomed at all. Friends, the house of God was paid with the blood of Jesus. And no man, starting with me or anyone, has the authority to send you or to save you on this earth. The only one that has that power. It's Christ, and it's 100% free. The only way that you can accept Christ is if you believe, if you have the heart for him, if you accept him, and if you repent of your sins. I would like to lead you in prayer, and if you've never had Jesus come into your life, please follow along. And today's your day for God is calling you. Lord Jesus, I come before your throne. I ask you for forgiveness of all of my sins. This day, Father, I make you my Lord and Savior. Please come into my life. Please let me start fresh. And please, Father, let me spend eternity with you in heaven. In Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, if you uh, said that prayer along with me, I do believe that you are born again. And I encourage you to find a good Bible-believing church. Keep Jesus in your life. Keep growing in God. Help spread the gospel that's the good news of Christ. And when we see someone that's turned off or has been turned off by by the Bible, or not by the Bible, but by pastors in the church. Let's encourage them. Let's encourage them to find another church to get back to God. Jesus loves you. We're all sinners. We all fall short of the of the of heaven. That's just plain and simple. Any pastor, any church leader, anybody walking the face of this earth, we all fall short. I like to close out every every uh, podcast with the best phrase I have ever heard from any pastor. And uh, it was the Reverend John H. Osteen. May he rest in peace. And he would close out all of his podcasts or all of his shows on TV. He would say, keep Jesus first place in your life. And he will take you places that you've never dreamed of man that is so powerful. every time i read that it just it, it, it just hits my soul and i believe it my friends thank you for your time and the privilege of being able to hopefully enlighten you and hopefully connect you with christ jesus i will look forward to talking with you tomorrow and i thank you for the privilege of your time